welcome to the Age of Enfrightenment. <laughs> Are we running a game show now? Is this yeah. like the, the Age we're, of Enfrightenment HQ? I'm doing the Arsenio thing, man. <laughs> were Nick and I supposed to jump in on that? I was hoping you would. Now I look like a jackass. <laughs> do, you feel like, do you feel like a doofus now that I, you well, were just doing that alone? Well, we'll now we'll I fix do. it in post. <laughs> Anywho, I am your host, Theo, joined as always by my partners, Dave. Hey. And Nick. Howdy ho. So we got a really cool episode in store for you today. Uh, We decided we wanted to do something a little bit more technical um, than werewolves and clowns. So (laughs) we have an episode all about visual phenomenon. And how it affects dance. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> it's going to be a very dance heavy episode and i we we realize that this is a podcast and you're not going to be able to see any of us dance but well that's just part of the mystery yeah and the moral here just to like you know spoiler alert is that no matter how religious your town is and even if your father is also the pastor he can't stop your boyfriend from dancing and getting everybody in the town to dance as well that's kind of where that's what we believe and that's what we like to carry through with your, with our lives. Yeah, your man. Your daughter's much much older boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes you just got to cut loose, foot loose, kick and off say, the Sunday shoes and say fuck the laws. <laughs> <laughs> so so we wanted to talk about sight specifically I think this works as a nice partner to if we skip ahead about almost a year ago when we released our very first few episodes, our episode two and three of this podcast were all about sound. And now we're trying to pair that up with, with the other probably first sense that pops into your head when you think about the most important ones to have. And we wanted to look at it in sort of the same way, not just how does it work, but how does it fuck with us every single day? And why is it not trustworthy or at least not as trustworthy as we think it is day in and day out? Yeah, it's funny. We um sight is probably our most unreliable sense. Uh <laughs> that we, we rely on the most. <laughs> yeah, it's this very like narrow cone that we view the world through and yeah, we process so much information through it and it's like it's genuinely maybe our shittiest sense. Uh and it definitely it goes haywire more than any other sense really. Uh, so that leads us to some really interesting things to talk about for this episode. Yeah, and I think it's worth noting up front that as a podcast, we're all about sound, and there's a reason for that. The three of us are legally blind. We cannot see a thing, so a lot of this episode is just going to be us saying things like, hey, do you guys know what an alligator looks like? And then the other two just kind of making our best guesses, and then it'll go on like that for about an hour and, and then we'll call it a day it's sort so. of like plato's allegory of the cave but exactly. much 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 stupider right <laughs> <laughs> so we can talk about some of the the scientific stuff up front and that's really going to be the bulk of this but i think we're going to do a little more parsing things and like taking them apart to see how they work but up front let's just kind of get some of the nitty-gritty obvious stuff out of the way 
And the one thing that I kept coming up in my research that is a given and we know, but I think bears repeating as a foundation, is that everything we see relies completely on light. And I think that's something that we take for granted. We can't imagine what the world would be like if we didn't, if we weren't in close enough proximity to the sun to have any light whatsoever. We simply wouldn't see. It's not just like it would be like nighttime. You wouldn't have a sense of sight at all. Things would just be a flat black nothing. So that's really important because light is not consistent. So that's where a lot of the issues that we have with sight, a lot of the things that people claim to have seen as we can talk about uh, things like ghosts or big feet or the Loch Ness monster is, is all of wait, those things wait, are wait, often wait wait yeah, back the fuck up wait would big feet be the plural of a Bigfoot or would it be Bigfoots? All right, now now we have a podcast. Let's go. See that that begs the question: Is Bigfoot the species, or is it the name of a particular guy? Oh fuck! I never even thought about that. Walter M. Bigfoot. <laughs> Are they just all one family, and they all have the same last name? They're like the Smurfs. And see, uh, Bigfoot sounds like a cryptozoological animal, and Big Feet sounds like a foot fetish website. (laughs) (laughs) So I guess what we're trying to get at here is that Big Feet or Bigfoot, they're completely real, and that you can trust them if you think you've seen them out in the world. Well, yeah, nobody's arguing with that. doesn't matter. (laughs) We have derailed four times in seven and a half minutes. (laughs) Less so, because we've been recording longer than we've actually been talking. <laughs> what, when are we going to just drop the horror thing and just <laughs> just start talking just, about random bullshit? It's just the age of bullshit. Because <laughs> when we want to talk about random bullshit, we got nothing. We need something to be derailed from. That is true. I, I don't think we'd be able to say a goddamn word. We'd, we'd all sit here and then eventually be like, I don't know, you guys want to talk about science, I guess? And then it would just go full circle. God damn. So what I was getting at uh, before we had that very important aside is that a lot of the things that people have claimed to see that throughout history that are paranormal or spiritual in some nature, often people will say that there's probably some kind of visual or auditory phenomena that can be put around this so we want to talk about the visual stuff so that later on down the road as we talk about things like ghosts and stuff like that we'll have a foundation that it, that has been set so when it comes to light there's some really interesting things that we can point to right away that illustrate kind of this point of not believing everything you see so the ones that we're probably most familiar with would be things like rainbows and mirages which throughout human history have been described a million different ways The Norse had the Bifrost, and they thought it was a physical bridge between Asgard and Midgard. And Midgard, Um, there's the Leprechauns in Ireland. There's, uh, I think that the Hindus, their one god Indra, has the the rainbow is like his actual bow that he uses to go hunting. Lots of like zany stuff. In the Bible, the rainbow is used after uh, the flood Noah um, of Noah's time. It was a sign that God wouldn't murder everybody again and that even goes back to like gilgamesh i think right that was even like pre-bibles that that idea of like the rainbow is the symbol of of safety 
So there, there is, we've always known that it's there, but it's only in sort of modern scientific times that we know what it is. And it's actually pretty fascinating. I think it sets the stage for some of the things we're going to talk about, uh, particularly like color and how we perceive the world that way. So in the shortest possible way, rainbows are a phenomenon that are created by essentially light breaking its way through raindrops or water particles in the air and refracting. The short wavelengths are the cooler colors, purple, blue, green, and they bend more, which is why they're at the bottom of the arc. Purple is a cool color. Colors, what'd you say? I said purple is a cool color. <laughs> Good ad, dog. Cool, cool. <laughs> and then the long wavelengths are the, the warmer colors that aren't as cool. Uh, yellow, orange, and red, and they bend more. What's interesting that uh, you know people know the meme of like the double rainbow. I didn't know this because I never really took the time to look. But when you see a second arch of a rainbow above the top, the bottom one, it's actually reflected because what's happening is the light is going through those water droplets twice. So that second rainbow is red on the bottom, purple on the top, and the other one would be purple on the bottom, red on the top. So there's a lot of like weird ways that we see that there's mist, things like that. And then there's also mirages and there are two types of mirages. And I thought, I think I wanted to bring up the second one to you guys. Cause I don't know. I wasn't as familiar with this. So the first one that we know is an inferior mirage. That's where like low density air, which is warmer is towards the ground. So you see it in deserts and like hot streets where there's like pavement and it looks like there's a bunch of water on the ground because of the way that the light is reflecting off of those air particles the one that i didn't know about is a superior mirage which is where cold air basically creates like a secondary arc of light that makes things look taller so if you've ever been like out in the woods in like january and you're looking up a mountain granted it's tall because it's a mountain but it's actually lying to you in the mountains way it looks way taller than it is because of the way that the light is bouncing off of and i i never knew that that that's like a really kind of strange concept to me yeah, yeah i've never heard of that before yeah so there's that and then the last thing too that, that i wanted to bring up when it comes to light reflect refraction which kind of ties in with like the spooky nature of our podcast is the green flash so this is something that sailors all the world over throughout history have claimed to see. And it's this moment just as the sun sets where there's it's not really a flash so much as a small arc of green where the sun just was. And you can see it out on the open ocean, like anywhere the horizon line is almost like seeing the curvature of the earth. So that's why people see it that way. And it's been explained a lot of different ways, like Jules Verne in one of his novels said that it could give you like telepathic powers. And it was something that sailors and pirates like talked about because it was this sort of mystical thing. And what's actually happening is the low angle of the light, because the sun is sort of like skidding off the top of the stratosphere. It's not letting in purple or blue light. So the light that's at the top of that basically rainbow arc is green so that when the rest of the sun is set the only thing left for the only light left for you to see is green so all of these things that seem like really spooky and bizarre basically just break down to how light is hitting our eyes and we can apply that to a lot of things like how people see light coming through a window in an old house what color does that look like do people see 
like a green orb? Do people see a white orb? Whatever. And then those things turn into things like ghosts and stuff like that. Wow. Yeah. So I wanted to get through that as quickly as possible because it's sort of like the foundational stuff, but I think light is going to inform a lot of what we're going to talk about today. I mean, light is essentially everything. Um, It really is. I broke uh, my wife's brain this morning when I explained to her that our blue couch was not blue. It's just the way in which light hits it, and that's what we see as blue. And she she told me to stop talking. <laughs> um, well, that goes back to that um, the that dress thing that was on the internet. You guys remember that? Yeah. A couple years ago, where there was that dress, and people were getting into actual arguments over what color it was. If right. it was like. Yeah. It black was white, and white, white and gold or blue and black was the yeah and like thing. who wore it best yeah <laughs> like, it's a picture of like Demi Lovato and Selena Gomez and nobody could agree on on who wore it best yeah I mean on the on the topic of that so c- colors are an interesting thing uh, in that like some of them did not exist until more recently in our history yes and it wasn't a matter of we didn't name them we didn't name them so they didn't exist. <laughs> There's uh, scholarly work that goes back that looks at the Odyssey, where the sea is described as wine red and the sky is described as white, Uh, which, you know, yes, the sky very much can have a white hue to it. Uh, But then people started digging around and found that the word blue does not appear in any yeah, uh, they ancient. just didn't come up with it yet. Because there's <laughs> no, not they'd... a lot of stuff naturally occurring in nature that's like bright blue. You know, right. yeah. it's like now we can think of the sky as blue, but if there's nothing else to compare it to, yeah. At the time, you might have been like, I don't know, it's like a gray. Which I think, if you remove yourself from knowing what bright blue looks like, you can make the argument that if you never had the word before, you wouldn't necessarily look at the sky and think that it's this entirely different color from like green, you know, there, it it might just seem like a a shade of that. If you literally don't have the word for blue. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah. It's just interesting. It's like, we named it. uh, And so it it happened. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. The Egyptians were the first ones to be like, that is blue. And now blue is just a thing that we know and recognize. Like, but it's, it's interesting to think that it didn't exist in our minds until somebody actually gave it a goddamn name. Well, and it's it's pretty wild, too, because there's um, I won't get into it right now because I think we can cover some other stuff first. But there's an experiment that I read about that had to do with what colors we can see. And a lot of it came down to people being like, oh, my God, it's this brand new color. And it was just like, no, it's not. It's just that the color spectrum is so much wider than we normally call it that even people who are artists or color theorists can sometimes find themselves in a position where they're like, Ah, uh, I don't I don't know what to call that. And it's often things like muddy brown. You might have one person being like that's greenish mud and another person saying that's reddish mud even though they're complete opposite colors and they're both kind of right because we just yeah. don't have we didn't come up with a good word for it yet. I like that all undiscovered colors are some hue of mud. <laughs> pretty pretty much. <laughs> if you want to if you want to go f- discover new colors and be the first one to name it kids, just go play in the mud. <laughs> So um, I think we can probably get into, since we're kind of on the subject of color, Dave, you wanted to talk about sort of color's effect on our brain. So we've kind of established some of the scientific stuff, but maybe 
go a little further into like psychologically what what's going on there. Okay, so this is going to get real weird, um, but we are constantly being manipulated by colors around us. And I don't even mean just like in an advertisement kind of sense. Like, and when I say advertisements, you'll notice every movie, every like big action movie that comes out is either blue or red or right. blue or orange right now because they found that people enjoy those colors together. I'm talking about like an actual uh, psychological response to different colors. So, for instance, the color blue they found to be very calming to the the point where it actually slows people down. It, it, drops, uh, it drops adrenaline. It spikes dopamine. And you know, like that, that's very much like, oh, yeah, of, okay, that's fine. That's good to know, except it's actually saved lives. Um, so there was a very, there was a very bad area of Glasgow that had a lot of crime. The police at a certain point said, fuck it, let's, uh, let's try and use this color thing because what else are we going to do? This is Glasgow. They switched all of their street lamps from normal yellow to blue, and crime dropped 9%. Now, you might be saying, oh, 9%, that could be anything. So here's an example where it's not nothing. So Japan has a real, real big problem with people jumping in front of trains to kill themselves. Yeesh, that is not yeah. what I thought you were going to say. <laughs> I oh, thought you were no, going to no, say, no. like, it's... Japan has a real problem with pigeons or something, but damn. Yeah, no, when people want to die in Japan, they really want to die. Like, <laughs> so... <laughs> well, we've already talked about the, uh, the suicide forest on a past episode, so... Yeah. In 2007, based off of this study about blue being common, they painted all of their metro lines blue, all right? In 2007, they had 640 suicides by train. When they painted it, in 2008, the number dropped to zero. That's wow. unreal. They I mean, changed all of the lights in the stations to blue. They painted the trains blue. They made their railways blue. Like They, they went full out trying to actually change it. Wow. All right. That, that like... It blows my mind, in, but it's also kind of frustrating to think that all of our problems in life that are like, the world's weighing down on me, my job sucks. Sometimes a really bad decision that you could never possibly take back could be stopped by just somebody being like, hey man, look look at this blue book. And then you oh, look yeah. at it and you're like, yeah, I don't think I want to do this anymore. Like It's, it's frustrating to know we're that weak against our own brains when it, when it comes to this kind of stuff. Oh yeah, and you wanna you wanna go like another level of insanity down? Sure do. Um, so the president of the German Academy of Color Science, which is absolutely a thing that exists, uh, did a bunch of studies and found that this same effect happens on children who are blind. Whoa. Okay, so what he says, and this was like a full study that the electromagnetic energy that makes up colored light affects certain neurotransmitters in our brain. So basically, even though the eyes are non-functioning, you're still absorbing 
those electric magnetic pulses and it is having an effect on the brain despite the fact that you're not actually fucking seeing them right hmm. now <laughs> it's not just blue uh if we jump over to red red has a tendency to make people more aggressive uh you know it's it's hence the term red light district uh there have been studies done where they've painted different uh bar like different rooms in bars red versus blue versus whatever and found that like people were much more rowdy in the red room and much more likely to leave early with somebody they just met in the red room <laughs> um spend more money probably oh yeah break more yeah. pool sticks over bikers heads all those standard <laughs> bar things we've all done oh yeah like it, it basically it, it ups your cardiovascular uh and respiratory systems making you more alert and focused but that can also lead to more aggression however a very very close close comparison of red is pink which pink like i I, (laughs) i'm not a a sports guy but i found this fascinating uh so certain football teams were painting their locker rooms for their visitors pink yeah (laughs) <laughs> and to, like originally to demasculate them, but they were actually finding that it had such a <clears throat> profound effect on the actual players that the NCAA outlawed painting your visitors' room pink. Yeah, which is amazing. Because like, was pink, it was it getting them all like rowdy and shit? No, no, it's the opposite. The opposite. They don't like they don't put as much force into oh so their so play. it was work it was actually working then yeah it was working the way yeah. they wanted it to yeah yeah it, it huh. causes your adrenaline to drop drastically like and you're basically taking the fight out of people completely unbeknownst to them That's with nuts. just the presence of pink it almost kind of i don't know if there's a direct connection here but it almost kind of makes sense that the two colors that we've chosen to represent each of the genders of like when you have a baby are light blue and pink because they're both calming they both have a sense of like tranquility to them like we know that scientifically i feel like somewhere down the line it could have just as easily been like green and yellow but it's not so i feel like there must be a reason to that that it's not just the fact that those two colors are different from each other showing the genders but they're also both very calming colors that i guess you could associate with the way you want people to behave around a baby <laughs> what what gets me is that pink is so close to red right on mm-hmm. like the color spectrum i i wouldn't think that would have such a such an opposite effect yeah no it's, it it I, I thought that too like because i was like pink is just diluted red hmm. but apparently it also dilutes aggression See, this is this is cool because being the the turbo nerd that I am, uh, one of my favorite comic books is Green Lantern, and a couple years ago they introduced like a whole bunch of different like Lantern cores where it's these like groups of superheroes who would have different um, like abilities and they'd be different colors and represent different emotions. So Green Lantern's supposed to be willpower and he's green. Then there's the Blue Lanterns, which are supposed to be uh, hope and they're very calm. And the Red Lanterns are anger. And they're like just like super aggressive, and I just thought it was clever branding, but I didn't really think there was a lot of science behind it. And that's yeah, pretty cool. each each of the emotions that that play out are. I think I had even seen something before because I know it's there's oranges for greed in mm-hmm. the in the lantern, and there's just the one Larflees, 
And I think I read somewhere even that that there's kind of a not so indirect connection there too. And and I don't know if it's because greed is a little bit connected to aggression of wanting to take things away, but not in such a physical way. So there there is some rationale behind each of the lantern core that I think is really fascinating um, mm-hmm. because you can really tie it to the way people actually behave. No, absolutely. And you know, you know, knowing that, knowing that the just colors in general can have such a profound impact on the human psyche. Uh, it really lends credence to like how really unequipped we are to deal with vision as a sense. <laughs> yeah. Like you can, you can understand like this stuff affects us to our core. Like we're, we're incapable of stopping it. And it's all through these shitty cones uh, that we perceive everything. And I, I think it's worth noting too, that we break down all of the, and the color spectrum that we see is vast, but it's all broken down based on, essentially six or seven depending on how people argue about how close indigo and violet are actually related um but essentially six or seven main color groups and all of their hues but if we think of like a bee a bee can see ultraviolet light a snake can see infrared so those are colors to them in a sense it's a just a different way of perceiving reality that is shut off to us so we need to constantly remember that while Dave and Theo and I might look at a red apple and all agree that it's red, that doesn't mean it's the only thing you can say about the physical matter that's taking up that space. Like, there's more to it that other species can perceive. Oh, yeah. Jumping spiders can see the data on a Blu-ray disc. They can look at a Blu-ray disc and see the data on it with their eyes. That's insane. Just because they're so small and they have so many, like, different... Uh, like retina or it's something about how their eyes work that yeah it's it's basically the their eyes are able to process the data on like a blu-ray disc i really want to make a cartoon about like a spider who just reads a story to of of a movie to somebody like the power goes out and he's like oh don't worry i got this and just like acts it out (laughs) like when i read that i never wanted to be a jumping spider more (laughs) okay so Let's talk about the mantis shrimp. Yeah, yes. yeah. Let's, Let's do this. Yes. Okay, so the mantis shrimp is it's an actual living creature. I just I, I feel like I gotta start with that because this <laughs> like holy shit, this animal is fucking rad. So it's a, a shrimp. Skateboards. <laughs> uh, it, it, a shrimp that lives in the ocean. Um, you're not gonna see them in um, a lot of like pet stores or aquariums. Because one of the fucking awesome evolutionary byproducts of the mantis shrimp is that it has its its claws are um, they're basically hinged, so they're forward facing claws, and they're able to pull them back and essentially cock them like a gun. And another name for the mantis shrimp is the bullet shrimp, and it's able to release the its claws in a way that it sends, like, a shockwave out. So shit. Right, so the reason that you don't find them at pet stores and aquariums and things like that is because they can break glass with their claws. <laughs> so they pull their claws back so and they're just... Like, they're like the bam. black bolt of undersea creatures, just with yeah. their claws instead of their mouth. Yeah, and the force that they generate is able to fucking break glass. There's um, a video, 
I saw recently on Reddit of a crab walking by a mantis shrimp, and he pulls his claws back and cocks it, and bam, and expels it, and the crab's arm just falls off. <laughs> he's just—he's a gunslinger. That's yeah. so amazing. And, and that's—that's that's how they—that's how they kill their prey. Oh my so, god! All I have are these stupid hands. <laughs> I know, right? Like a dick. Um, anyway, so that's that's just one awesome thing about the mantis shrimp. The the second thing that makes them cool, and the reason that it pertains to this episode, is so scientifically the way that we our eyes work is you know it's they process light. Everything what we think of as vision is just our how our body interacts with light. And our eyes are made up of millions of light-sensitive cells, and they're rods and cones is what they're called. And they let us see light, and they let us see motion. And different um, organisms will have different amounts of rods and cones in their eyes. So humans have three kinds of color-receptive cells in their eyes. So we can process a certain amount of light information that way so everything we see is like a mix of red and green and blue those are the colors that we can process whereas a dog only has two so a dog can see red and or i'm sorry a dog can't see red it can see green and blue but it doesn't see red and when somebody's colorblind they can't see red mm-hmm. so like i said humans have three types of color receptive cones Mantis shrimp have 16. Oh my god. Whoa. Yeah, so can they just they can... like see other dimensions? <laughs> well, well that's the thing is that I I don't even have the the words to describe what right. that would be like. I mean, they can see colors that humans are physically not equipped to see. Right. And we could probably never enhance ourselves or create technology to do it because it's a different level of perception yeah it's a completely different evolutionary path right and that's just it's it's amazing to me if mantis shrimp were they didn't even have to be like gigantic like elephant size if mantis shrimp were the size of cats they would rule the fucking planet (laughs) we gotta get a fucking mantis shrimp on as a guest (laughs) (laughs) turns out they're really chill (laughs) but it just goes to show that the like we said at the beginning of the episode, our sight is the sense that we use the most and we rely on the most, but it is also completely unreliable. And the world, the way we perceive the world is not how the world actually is. Reality doesn't function like we think it does. Right. We only can perceive it to a certain extent. And then you got these fucking mantis shrimp who can <laughs> can see all sorts of crazy colors. Jeez. So and fucking and fucking blow shit up with their hands. <laughs> I want to blow shit up with my mind. Like if there was a, a person who's like, I can see a whole shitload of special colors and blow shit up with my hands. That would be like, well, you're a superhero, right? They'd be an X Man. Yeah, that would be a pretty reasonable X Man. Because sometimes you get X Men with like bullshit powers, like Jubilee. You can make fireworks out of her hands. Fuck that. No, blowing shit up and seeing crazy colors. That's a proper X Man. Uh, 
So there, <laughs> you got so angry at the end. <laughs> God damn you, Jubilee! <laughs> yeah, well, you know I'm what? Not it angry, is? I'm impassioned, man. Jubilee we, sucks, and Mantis it's, it's cool. <laughs> it's it's like even if we had that many cones, I doubt our brains would be equipped to handle it. It's kind of it feels like the whole TV thing that's happening right now, where. You know, they just made 4K TVs, and now they're talking about making 8K TVs. Like, our eyes can't see. <laughs> no, seriously, our no, eyes can't mean. see above 4K. Yeah. So, you know, I feel like we could put all of these extra cones in our eyes. We wouldn't have whatever. We are most definitely <clears throat> smarter than Mantis Shrimp. Uh, however, there's something in their brain that's equipped to handle right. 16 fucking cones. Mm-hmm. So I think this is a good transition uh, into a lo- another piece about color that is really interesting to me that is specifically about what we can't see, and that's forbidden colors. So the idea behind forbidden colors is there is a color that is simultaneously red and green. We know scientifically that it exists. Now, we would say, well, red and green make yellow, or not, yeah, red and green what a red brown red and green make brown like muddy crappy brown but it's but it's not that says the man with the degree from says, says the man with the illustration degree. <laughs> i was trying to jump ahead to yellow and blue which makes green um so red and green make brown yellow and blue like make green we know that by mixing paint okay color theory it works but that's not really scientifically talking about the kinds of light that it is So we know that a yellow and green simultaneous light exists and that a yellow and blue simultaneous color exists. But we can't see it because we don't perceive color that way, and there's a reason for that. So their light frequencies cancel each other out, which is why they're called forbidden colors. So this kind of goes back to sort of what Dave was saying about with the moods. So red light hits our retinas, and it's processed by these things called opponent neurons, and they basically pick up the presence or absence of something. So they pick up on the presence of red light and they activate. So they get like excited. And then when they perceive the absence and they perceive the absence of activity as green. So that's because green light sort of like nullifies it in a way. So green light makes it so that you can't see red light. So they literally, our eyes literally can't see the same at the same time. Same thing can be said for blue and yellow. But there's this experiment uh, I want to say in the 70s, by these researchers, Hewitt Crane and Thomas uh, Piantanita. And what they did was they stimulated the eyes with two strips of colors. So one would be like green and red right next to each other, and then it would be yellow and blue right next to each other. So you'd look at it, and you can even do this experiment yourself with your naked eye and realize that it's kind of like jarring to look at, which is why in design you have to be very careful with values because they'd be like the same value so the same shade of gray that is to say they're equally bright so red and green next to each other often messes people up who have who are colorblind because if their values are the same they kind of seem like the same thing because they're pushing against each other so what they did was by using a stabilizer and i'm not really quite sure how it works but they use a retina stabilizer which basically allows your eye to always rest on the same spot as opposed to looking back and forth from red to green. And they did with this with a bunch of patients. And what the patients said was that they could see a color that was a vivid color, which goes against the idea of red and green make brown, because that's not a vivid color. But they couldn't define it. 
kind of like that idea of we didn't have a word for blue yet. They were like, it's a bright color. It's definitely not red. It's definitely not green. And I can't say what it's called. They reported the same thing for blue and yellow. So skipping ahead, there was a guy who tried to debunk it in 2006. And he did a pretty good job because he had digital technology on his side. And he was able to say to people, find in this massive color field of, of pixels, basically, which color you saw. And people would kind of pick brown. What he didn't do correctly was use that stabilizer so that your retina stays on one spot between the two. This other guy, Vince uh, Billock, who works for the U.S. Air Force Research Laboratory, so I think it's pretty fascinating that the Air Force is looking into this, uh, claims that forbidden colors can be seen and it requires this eye tracker for your retinal stabilization. And that through image fading, basically, which is the, your eye's ability to kind of blend things themselves. So it's kind of like the idea of, oh, my God, my dog is making the grossest noises. I have a, I heard I have a pug, so she always sounds Dude, like she's choking to death. Dude, don't cover for Lisa and say it was the dog. <laughs> <laughs> so the, the idea is that your eye creates a new color from them being next to each other. But he's saying that the resulting color that people report to see when they do these experiments is not muddy. It's not this ugly color that would result from the red and the green. It's something else. So they're looking into this because it's sort of a low-tech way without having to create some crazy device to get people to see colors that they've literally never seen in their lives. And that's what people report back when they do these experiments, which is pretty insane to think about there's a way to cheat our eyes into seeing that jesus christ this is like the god helmet there's another thing i want to do now yeah it really kind of is so i want to find out what it takes to like create this like retinal stabilizer so we can do we gotta start a patreon to get money so we can start doing fucking weird experiments with each other (laughs) yes (laughs) it really sounded like you want people to pay us to have sex with each other (laughs) (laughs) i mean what you know whatever it's patreon whatever is requested of us we'll do I need $5 to stick my finger in Dave's mouth. <laughs> <laughs> so while we're talking phenomena, uh, Theo, why don't you take us through pareidolia a little bit? Because I think this also connects interestingly in ways to sound stuff and how our brains trick us into seeing things that aren't there. Shizzle. Uh, so I, I, I think the common thread running through a lot of what we've been talking about today is that no matter how well our eyes function at receiving information from light it still has to be filtered through our brains and sometimes our brains just aren't really good at stuff um so what nick was talking about uh pareidolia is basically it's when you see a pattern where none exists and the way that it often manifests itself is when think about when you look at like a faucet and it looks like a face you know the the two little handles are eyes and then the faucet itself is the nose and you're like oh look it's a it's a little guy yeah it's gonzo it's always gonzo <laughs> exactly <laughs> or um you know if you like the the famous picture of the face on mars yeah so it's you look at it and well it clearly looks like a face the fact is it doesn't look like a face we just process it that way and pareidolia is an evolutionary holdover because we as a species are incredibly social and we needed to be when humanity was a young species because that's how we survived. 
and being able to recognize your 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 family and the your community was a a, a strength that humanity have and it's one of the reasons that we are the dominant species on the planet today um and it's the way that babies are able to recognize their mother and how you're also able to differentiate between um you know friends and family and predators so sexual predators you mean which could be in your family stay safe kids i i actually meant like saber-toothed tigers and cave bears but you know they could have been sexual predators too oh no species a (laughs) saber-toothed tiger rapist that is the most (laughs) horrible thing i've ever heard of um so if we take this into account when we think about um people's experiences with the paranormal uh it it starts we can connect some dots there because our brain is constantly looking for patterns and sometimes it puts together patterns that aren't really there so you know it's like i said it's the same reason that you see a face when you look at a faucet or something like that but it's also the reason that people see Jesus in their toast. <laughs> I love Jesus toast. <laughs> it well, is funny because when I was looking into this, it would be like the face on Mars came up a lot. And then it would be every article would just be 30 examples of people in some small town in Illinois or Texas somewhere that are like, I saw them in my PB and J. And that's <laughs> so clearly there's a connection with people that are spiritual too but we won't get into that in in this science episode (laughs) right so what i'm saying is that it could there could potentially be moments where people see a face maybe they see a face in a dark hallway or in the woods and their brain recognizes it as a face and they should they think holy shit i just saw somebody standing over there and maybe if they get a better look they're like well there's no face there so i guess it's gone so these people aren't lying. It's just an example of your brain kind of playing a trick on you. Right. And even just seeing the face is definitely the first thing that we go to. I mean, you can see it. Uh, I, I think it, Leonardo da Vinci had written something in his day about getting inspiration from seeing like a stain on a wall. But there's also just figures in general. So I know that Lisa and I from our, our bedroom... We ha- our coat rack is in the hallway and we were talking about it this morning when I was telling her the subject of this podcast and she brought up how we- in that moment right after she wakes up, she'll think that like there's somebody standing in our hallway because of the way the coats kind of lurch out from the wall, it creates like a figure shape. And the second she said that, I was like, oh yeah, I think that all the time. Like I'll go to bed and if I look past our TV out in the hallway, my brain's constantly telling me that that's a person there, which is terrifying. But mm-hmm. clearly it's proof that that in my mind it would almost my brain would almost rather find the figure so that I can react than just assume that it's nothing. So we see that all the time, which I think does go back to what I was saying in the beginning of claims of Bigfoot and aliens and things out in the woods, because even a tree, it might not look like a face to you, but it could look like a person standing. It could look like Slenderman. Yeah. No, we I hate process. that guy. <laughs> We process the information like we're just not super equipped to process the information. <laughs> like our, <laughs> I feel like our brain quickly tries to make sense of something, and you know, it's 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 done pretty well so far. Yeah, but, but it, it does try to force us into a place as opposed to actually 
you know, like a computer responds to data and it categorizes it. Our brain does that too. But the first thing it does is it tries to convince you what it is because there's sometimes there's no time to act. So there there's things where it's like, oh, you see in movies all the time, like, oh, he's reaching for a gun and a guy gets blown away. And it's like, you know, it's like a cell phone or something. And that yeah. happens in real life, too, unfortunately. But that all kind of comes down to that same fear reflex of your amygdala basically telling your brain, like, I don't have time for you to figure this shit out. Just tell me when you think I need to blow a fucker away. And that's part of, <laughs> part of our visual handicap that we all have. Like you said, no matter how good our, our eyesight is, our brain isn't necessarily going to be just as sharp. And I, I think it's worth noting, too, that, that pareidolia is sort of like the visual version of apophenia. And that's not just stuck to our, our sight, which we're talking about today. It's, it connects to sound. It connects to, it's sort of like we talked about in the sound episode, when something goes below a certain amount of hertz, uh, I think 20 hertz, it's like, it's yeah. uh, infrasound and it like creates unease. It can happen with looking at numbers written on a chalkboard and all of a sudden you're having like this conspiracy brain of like, what does it mean? And you don't necessarily, or you're not necessarily that kind of person, but your brain is just trying to see everything around you and be like, it's got to mean something. It can't just be random. And that's kind of what our site's biggest handicap is, too, is a lot of things on Earth are just sort of random shapes that just happen to be there. But we don't want to believe that in our subconscious. We want to believe everything has, like, its place and its purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, something else I wanted to touch on, uh, just briefly, because it, it goes into some other stuff that we're probably going to do whole episodes on. But uh, a lot of people that believe that they've seen something paranormal... Uh, whether it be like a ghost or shadow man or an alien or something like that, uh, a lot of time it happens when they've woken up in the middle of the night or they're about to fall asleep. Mm. And um, so I'm sure everybody has heard stories that somebody said about waking up in the middle of the night and there being a, a, a tall shadowy figure at their foot of their bed with like glowing red eyes and like not being able to move. And the, there's a reason that there's so many people that have experienced this. Because uh, it's true. So, <laughs> it's all true. <laughs> it's absolutely true. Case closed. No, the music um, just slowly fades in. <laughs> <laughs> so there's, there's this transitional state between true sleep and, um, and consciousness. And it's called uh, hypnagogia. And this is when you're you're starting to fall asleep, like your brain function is starting to switch off, but you're still lucid and technically conscious. The the phrase used is actually threshold threshold consciousness, mm. and it's it, it's basically it's when you're half asleep, and your brain isn't functioning quite like it would when you're awake. Um, so there's something called a phosphine. And a phosphine is it's a mechanical stimulation of the eye. So it's when you get the sensation of seeing light or reacting to light when you haven't actually when light doesn't actually enter your eye. Hmm. So the the easiest way to experience this is like if you close your eyes and like you you rub on them with your fingers. Or your dicks. Like you, 
<laughs> or, or your dicks, whatever you want to do. Um, or and your you, dicks, plural. <laughs> and you can see, and you can see like colors and shapes almost, or you can like perceive them. Right, seeing but stars as we would have done when we were kids. Right, a- a- absolutely. So, this is when your eyes are closed and no light's actually getting into your eye, but you can make it out, sort of. And um, weirdly enough, what it makes me think of. Do you guys know wh- um, the what it's? Lo- I'm not going to ask if you know what it's like, but milking a prostate? Because <laughs> um, that's what it made me think I've, of. I've dabbled. <laughs> How okay. personal do you want to get? Look, we're all grown men here. I think we've all milked our prostates or had someone else do it. <laughs> well, this is kind of like milking the prostate for your eye. <laughs> you can fucking laugh, but it makes sense, right? I think we does. just found an episode title. <laughs> <laughs> Milking so the eye is, prostate. <laughs> when this happens, you're 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 seeing you're seeing a phosphine, and phosphines they you, they can be colors, they can be shapes. Uh, a lot of times, it's like you're going through a tunnel, and when you're in this um, state of hypnagogia, that that happens. So your your visual system is being stimulated without light being entered into your eyes. Right. That's so, I re- I really do love that that reality of of how we dream and how we how our waking life meets our dreamy life because there's a lot of creators like writers and artists who talk about how the best times to work are in those moments like right after you woke up and right before you're you're really feeling you're like you're falling asleep because you're in this sort of non-reality and and it's because of all these physical biological reasons but it's sort of it's also really inspirational if you're trying to look for really out there off the wall ideas but i wonder i wonder if those people have decent experiences because they lean into the curve because if you ask anybody or lean to the turn i should say any you ask anyone who has sleep paralysis which i have and it is not an absolute (laughs) nightmare it feels against your will i would be curious to see how if somebody decided to embrace sleep paralysis as like a creative as a creative force if they would recalibrate their brain a little bit and get something besides horrific hellscape results oh my god did did dave just solve sleep paralysis we we have to tell everybody (laughs) but it's a good it's a good point because there are things like in psychologically speaking where it's like well is it causing you pain or turmoil because you're running away from it? So it would be, I, I would love to see a study done with that, like trying to train people to embrace their, their sleep paralysis. Pretty if, crazy if, thought. If it happens and you're not aware of what it is and what it means, it can be absolutely terrifying. Right. Sometimes you just need to have it put in, to, put in context for you. So uh, uh, as I was researching this, I was starting to realize some stuff that happened with my girlfriend recently made sense. Um, Milking the prostate. <laughs> and, then, and then why she left. <laughs> like, oh boy, buckle in. This is going to be a long episode. <laughs> yeah, strap, strap in, gentlemen. Uh, but my, my girlfriend will, um, like a lot of times she'll go to fall asleep earlier than me and I'll just be, you know, up in bed watching like TV or on my phone doing stuff. And recently, like in the past month or so, twice, um, the first time she leans over to me, like completely asleep, and I'm just on my phone. And she like kind of just like puts her uh, hand on my arm 
And she goes, there's something on the ceiling. Jesus. Oh, <laughs> Jesus. You got to learn how to phrase that better. <laughs> and that terrified me because I, I thought she was asleep. Now she's awake. So I'm like, what? And she doesn't say anything else. And I just like put the flashlight on my phone on. I'm just like, uh, what the fuck? Uh, you know, point at the ceiling. And then I realize she's gone back to sleep. I'm like, okay, she's sleeping. Right. That was the worst possible thing she could have said. <laughs> Jesus. Because well, I'm sure yeah. you're expecting to look up and just see the Babadook smiling down at you yeah. at that point. <laughs> and and the second time is I was, we were in bed and I was falling asleep. I wasn't asleep yet, but I was falling asleep. She, she like shakes me and she just goes, why are there trees? <laughs> <laughs> so we can breathe. Oh, well, come <laughs> on, hot shit. Again, why are there trees? And, and again, I'm like, I, I'm sorry. And she was almost awake because she, she pulls out her phone and she doesn't, she just doesn't turn on the flashlight but like she opens it and she's shining the phone our bed is right against the window so she's shining the phone at the curtains and she's like yeah why are there trees and i'm like i i'm sorry i don't know what you (laughs) that's kind of a big question (laughs) and and then she turns the phone off she and she says i don't care if you believe me and then she goes back to sleep all right look man look 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 i really i really like julie and like i think that I think she's good for you. Like you've made a lot of positive life choices, which is why it's hard to tell you, you have to leave her. <laughs> At least get out of the house. <laughs> you, you, I, I mean, it's, it sucks, but it's clearly, you know, there's clearly some spooky shit going on I and I don't actually, want you to get caught up. I was actually going to say the opposite. I think we need to find out from Julie if we can do an entire episode while she's asleep in your bedroom and just mic her up. And just wait for some shit to go down, and then we'll and then we'll talk about it. I just want her to stop saying weird shit when I'm trying to fall asleep. <laughs> Jesus. And I want her to stop milking my prostate. <laughs> you know, you don't have to have your, I, your I never prostate asked milked for this. against your will. There's laws against that. <laughs> well, that's not what she keeps telling me. <laughs> so I have uh, a couple more pretty interesting topics that I think won't take too long each. What would you guys like to hear about first? Invisibility cloaks or the uh, or Alice in Wonderland syndrome? Alice in Wonderland syndrome. Okay. Yeah. So this is really interesting. I had never I had heard of things kind of like this, but not not quite until I started looking up some of this visual stuff. So Alice in Wonderland syndrome is aptly named because it's essentially a condition that distorts your perception of reality. In a few different ways. One of the symptoms would be macro or macropsia, which is when objects in the room or in the space that you're in appear larger or magnified. And I'm not just talking like I'm a little dizzy or I'm hungover and I feel like the ceiling's really tall. I'm talking about you're sitting next to a bed that seems like it's towering over you um, as if you were really small yourself. And then the opposite of that would be micropsia, which is also a symptom, so it could go either way, where objects appear much smaller. So you could be sitting in your bedroom and looking at your TV, and, and you could swear that it's like a couple of inches tall, or that it's really far away, just something that makes it so minimal, even if it's right in front of you. So it was first named by this guy, Dr. John Todd, in 1955, who's an English doctor, uh, so you'll even, if you look it up, another way to look it up is Todd's Syndrome, because it was named after him, too. So there's a few possible causes. 
One would be, and this is what's kind of crazy, because I thought, well, this is good. I'll never have this because clearly I wasn't born with it. But it can be caused by some fairly common things, even though the condition itself is rare. It can be caused by infections, uh, migraines, stress, epilepsy, stroke, even certain drug use. And I think the one thing that I saw was particularly some cough medicines have caused this. It's still... Yeah, I can can actually say from personal experience from my young and reckless days that if you uh if you drink a whole bottle of cough syrup that they now keep behind the counter you will hallucinate <laughs> your fucking ass off and uh and like proportion size is a very big part of it uh i did this and went and saw lord of the rings and threw up on the movie theater floor <laughs> <laughs> people were walking by you like man i it, i mean it was intense but i don't know if i felt the way that guy did <laughs> i i actually have heard of something like this before actually i remember years ago uh somebody went to high school sean davini um he had an ocular stroke he said and he, he, I remember him telling us about it like one night and we were at the bar and he said that like something happened and he was at work and like he had his hand on his desk and he said he suddenly had the sensation that like his hand was like at the bottom of like a stairwell away from him. Oh my God. So yeah. So yeah. he's had Alice in Wonderland syndrome. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah so <clears throat> the, the article that I read about this, uh, that I would say people should definitely read because out of all the research that I did, it's a lot of scientific stuff, but I think this woman's breakdown makes it sort of a really interesting read. It was in New York times and her name's Helene Stepinski. And she kind of talks about how it runs in her family. So her daughter told her one morning or night, whatever it was that she was having this issue in her room and her, and she she had been sick recently and she's having this issue uh, in association with migraines. And she thought, well, you know what? That's weird. Cause when I was a kid, I had it too. So she looked into it, found this woman, Dr. Sheena Aurora, who's a Stanford professor, and she's been studying this for years uh, with lots of people. And the woman who wrote this article became like one of her subjects, basically, along with a lot of people. And when they were working together, she started, she said to her, the doctor said to her, well, can you find out other family history? She found out that her son had also been having it, even though he wasn't telling his mom. Because he probably, when you're a little kid, you just think like this is just weird or it's a bad waking nightmare or something. And then she found out over and over again, like more and more members of her family, whether it's like cousins, aunts, uncles, all had it. So even though there's a small amount of the po- very small amount of the population that gets it, clearly there's some hereditary aspect to it. And it's also really kind of interesting that it's much more common in children. So. It might be caused by all these things, but clearly there's something susceptible about the pliable brain of a kid that can do this. And it's kind of terrifying. I've had some like weird hallucinatory moments. I've never had anything that would make me swear, kind of like Sean did, like you said, Theo, that your hand is super far away or super small. Like that, that's, I've never had anything quite to that level. It's, it's pretty terrifying yeah. concept. <clears throat> And there's a variant of Alice in Wonderland syndrome that basically makes uh, very, like, younger adults, teens, children mostly see R's of people. Yeah. They, they see colors and whatnot, mm-hmm. which is a really 
interesting tie-in to like the whole obsession with mysticism and being able to see somebody's aura. Like that is a real thing. Some people see colors around people. Yeah, um, now, I always thought that was just dumb hippie chicks who wanted attention. No, that's like a real thing. Yeah, I found that in this too. And as a matter of fact, it even described it as a type of aura that could potentially, in a scientific way, but it sounds spooky when you say it, could kind of tell the future in the sense that if you're getting this thing, it could actually be a early warning sign that you're either about to have a migraine or even a stroke, something very serious. So it would be interesting if research into this could like find a way to somehow shape this into some kind of like early detection system for more serious brain injuries or conditions. It's pretty pretty wild well i owe some dumb hippie chicks an apology <laughs> oh no no no! because see there is no there's no meaning behind the colors you see <laughs> yeah you just see them and then you, you just see yeah. colors <laughs> like <laughs> they say nothing about the soul or the nature of people <laughs> it's like you're so green okay what does that mean I don't know, man. What does it mean? <laughs> and, then to you? The, and then the strokes. Your aura is so blue, that means you're a good person. <laughs> Do you have any E? <laughs> <laughs> and also, just to kind of close up on that su- subject, the name that it got, gets itself from, Alice in Wonderland, actually, Lewis Carroll, the author himself, suffered from migraines and wrote about this in his journals. So some people even wonder if the inspiration for his one pill makes you small, one pill makes you big sort of motif in the story uh, didn't come from him suffering with Alice in Wonderland syndrome when he was a kid. So another sort of example of it. You Maybe know, that's why he named, called the story Alice in Wonderland because like he had that condition. Because he had the syndrome. And he was like, <laughs> oh my God, what a perfect name. I'm so glad they didn't just call it Todd syndrome. <laughs> Who writes a book called Todd? Or Todd in Wonderland. <laughs> so the uh the last bit that i wanted to talk about is invisibility because it's one of those things that much like auras seems very mystical and magical we see it in stuff like harry potter but there is a really good science to it and practical ways to do it and it's something that people have been working on for a very long time like the u.s government has worked on cloaking devices for aircraft for all kinds of things to varying degrees of success and going I back actually to know one uh that i saw on like the discovery channel years ago that involved like a series of really tiny cameras that basically worked in like the the same way that like the the backup cam on a car works hmm. so if a person is wearing a suit covered in these cameras and also small screens they're able to basically just project the environment around them Right. That's kind of how, I think that's how, if you watch like in the Avengers movies, that's how the helicarrier works. You can kind of see it's just like projecting the image of what the sky looks like above it. So what's interesting about this particular one that I found out about from just a few years ago is that it's much simpler and very inexpensive and it's just using lenses. So you don't need as much power. You don't need cameras, all this high tech stuff. So basically, a team of visual researchers at the University of Rochester, particularly... Woo, go Rochester! <laughs> go the fighting, I don't know, cocks? I don't, I don't know what they Buffaloes. are. Buffaloes. <laughs> uh, so... <laughs> Rochester. <laughs> so this guy, Professor John Howell, and one of his grad students, Joseph Choi, 
were looking into this in 2014 and they wanted to use way simpler materials than any past efforts. And what they were able to create was a multi-directional cloaking device, basically, uh, that uses just four lenses. And multi-directional is a big deal because basically all cloaking devices before this point where you'd look, you'd stand in one spot, and if you look through one lens, one camera, whatever the device was, you wouldn't be able to see the thing right behind it. Impressive, but if you moved over, if you changed the angle of your vision a little, you'd either see what, what was hiding in full view, or a little bit, or at the very least, the background would change and morph. Kind of like, picture how when Predator is moving through the jungle, you can see him because it just looks like the leaves and things are not where they should be. So that is sort of the regular way we would perceive invisibility that's feasible. They were kind of able to just use these four lenses and just pointing them in the right direction to get rid of that. And they tested it by putting it in front of like a grid so that even if you move to different points of the room and look through the device, the grid matches up to it. It doesn't look distorted. Basically rendering what's behind it as invisible like actually impossible to see and now they did all of this to try to go into the ladies locker room right (laughs) (laughs) i mean ultimately this is the goal it is two men doing the experiment i'm sure they've seen like meatballs plenty of times and and just wanted to live that life (laughs) this seems like practical for a building or even like a vehicle something like big but ultimately, I guess the goal of this would be to be able to make a person invisible. Right. So there are pieces of that. It, so granted, it's a scholarly research project. So they have to sell us some bullshit like, well, one of the examples they give is that doctors could, while doing surgery, surgeons could basically see through their hands effectively to the area that they're working on without getting in their own way. Or it could work for completely eliminating the idea of blind spots when driving or flying aircraft, whatever. These are all the base, basically just saying, like, I bought the Playboy for the articles. Because they just want to use the invisibility (laughs) cloak to go to the ladies' locker room. There's no way that every government doesn't want to get their hands on this to make invisible soldiers. That can then sneak into the ladies' bathroom (laughs) when they're not off (laughs) fighting But there's a lot of like really cool applications to it, but I think it's only inevitable. Like we weren't able to create gunpowder without using it to kill each other. So I think it's terrifying in the sense that if they perfect this and can outfit a person either in an actual outfit or some kind of device that moves with them to effectively create an invisible warrior for the first time, it's, it's possible down the road but they definitely see the ability to scale this up because the one guy very cavalierly in the article was just like, yeah, I mean, we can basically make it any size. We, any size we can make the lenses, that's the size of like space that we could cloak, essentially. So it's not Jesus. even limited by like, yeah, they can make their hand invisible, but not themselves. They could, it just you just need bigger lenses. Wow. Pretty wild stuff. We're finally going to be able to get into that locker room. <laughs> and and you know what? If you like work at a YMCA, like some people we know, you could do that sooner than you think. <laughs> 
So that was yeah. That's yeah. That's amazing. I really dig that. Yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I gotta say one thing that you're right. The concept of an invisible army is terrifying, but that'll probably never happen just because I imagine this is gonna be really expensive. Well, yes. I I think what these researchers are pushing is through their method, it's significantly less expensive than it would be. I I do agree though. I don't know if it would ever be an army. Maybe it's like a one team. one agent or one yeah one SEAL team like a small yeah. group of six guys. But they seem pretty confident that it could work basically with any application once they've really perfected it. And it seems like they're close. It's pretty pretty crazy stuff to look into an invisible army would be dumb anyway they just like trip over each other (laughs) an invisible army just sounds like a way for an action movie with no budget to like put a really big battle scene together of just one side just falling over and go all right now ed with the Mm -hmm. idea that we're already about five minutes over Mm-hmm. I want you to go into the kind of insane theory that you told us about before the episode. Okay, it's it's it takes a lot of explaining though. All right, you have three and a half minutes. <laughs> okay. Or look um, at it this way: I will edit it down to three and a half minutes. So just keep that in mind. Go. <laughs> Choose your words carefully. I'm not going to be able to do it in that amount of time. You son of a bitch. You've already wasted seven seconds. Clock's ticking. <laughs> All right. So this episode, we've done a lot of explaining about how things that are paranormal are probably just really mundane and nothing. Uh, so I also wanted to spend some time talking about how some science might back up some paranormal stuff. You know, sometimes you got to be Scully and sometimes you got to be Mulder. <laughs> so, um... Have you guys seen that movie, The Eye, with Jessica Alba? Yes, I have. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I know of it. <laughs> okay, yeah, it was it was in like 2005. It was when Hollywood was really obsessed with remaking Asian horror movies yes. as you know American films with you know semi attractive actresses and whoa, no hold budget. the phone. Yeah, whoa. All right, we're talking Episode about over. one of the most attractive act- <laughs> yeah. actresses in this example. She's, uh, I mean, she's attractive, but like I don't know, she's, she's not the hottest woman. You're you're killing me right now. Keep going. <laughs> all right, fine, fine. She's she's all right. It's okay. All right, back, right. back to the theory. anyway. There's a movie that involved Jessica Alba, um, a moderately was, attractive woman. <laughs> moderately attractive. She was hot in Sin City. I'll give all her right, that. Okay, but, back to the fucking theory. <laughs> But otherwise, she's she's av- not average. She's good looking, but it's, all right, whatever. Jessica Alba aside, she's in this fucking movie. All right, three she's and a half blind. minutes. So. She... Fine. I didn't want to talk about it anyway. I'm done. So she needs to get a new eye, right? I'm not saying I wouldn't have sex with her. I'm just all right. So Jessica Alba's blind in the, in the movie, not not in real life that we know of. Uh, I don't know her. I don't life. think she is. I was on her Wikipedia page earlier. She's didn't say anything about her being blind. So. Fun fact: tying everything together, she can also turn invisible, as we've seen from <laughs> another movie she was in. <laughs> so it all comes together. <laughs> so, 
<laughs> so she's blind. And she gets a, a, a cornea transplant from this woman who died. And eventually you learn that she killed herself. And Jessica Alba starts having visions and she's seeing ghosts. And um, uh, has, like, visions of the future. Uh, so the movie was dumb. <laughs> Why I focused on this is that it's kind of this theme that comes up in horror movies because like in vhs2 there's that um one of the shorts in it is the guy who gets a camera in his eye and he's able to start seeing ghosts yeah so a lot of this what i'm about to say is based on the idea that there is the potential for people to see ghosts which is some people believe i personally am on the fence about but if somebody was able to see a ghost there's a theory and it's not it's still in the early stages. There's a lot of people who think that it's bullshit, but a theory of something called cellular memory, which is the idea that memories are stored somewhere in the body other than in the brain, that memories can be in your in your cells. And there's a lot of examples of people who are organ donors or have see, received some kind of uh, bodily transplant of their personality changing in different ways after they've undergone the surgery uh so there's the uh, and this is backed up cellular um memory is backed up by a couple of experiments uh there's one that i read about where uh in 2013 doctors at tufts uh did experiments on worms and what they would do is they would uh train worms to uh, go for food in a, like in a box that was well lit and basically like above ground. There was no dirt in it. And this goes against worms' instincts. You know, worms are very, very basic organisms, but all they have to rely on are instincts and, you know, nerve impulses. So they're able to train these worms to go beyond these impulses. And then they cut their heads off. And the worms would regenerate new heads and new brains. And everything says that they shouldn't be, they would have to be retrained, but they wouldn't have to be retrained. Right. So I think what's interesting about that is we know that worms obviously function very different in us. But I guess the question is, is there some kind of evolutionary holdover in us since they're further up the chain on the evolutionary scale as far as the timeline goes they happen before us is there a part in is there a part of our genetics that holds on to that i guess is the question that people are asking it, it's there there is muscle memory which is not a pseudoscience is something that's regarded as fact and it's not exactly the same thing but it kind of lays the groundwork for it so what i'm saying is if you got a corneal transplant from somebody who could see ghosts, maybe you could see ghosts too. <laughs> and see this, <laughs> I know I was telling you, this is like creepy to me because I, I've got this eye disease where at some point, like worst case scenario, I might need a cornea eye, eye transplant. Um, and I remember saying to the doctor, will I be like Jessica Alba? <laughs> 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 And, and he was like, no, you won't turn invisible. And you're like, ah, wrong movie. <laughs> no, he didn't get the reference, and it was weird. <laughs> like, <laughs> That's pretty crazy. So with any luck, 
if Dave does have to get a new cornea, it'll just give him the ability to like see into ladies' locker rooms from vast distances and not see ghosts. You, you're trying to tie all the threads together. <laughs> or you'll be able to see into the ghosts' lady lock, ladies' locker rooms. Yeah, so, so that was a weird tangent that my research went into because, you know, it was kind of tough to think up of some, like, interesting stuff. And eventually I think we really hit the mark, but, like, I spent a good amount of time researching the eye and, you know, I didn't want that to be in vain. So thank you for humoring. Yeah. And no, 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 no. It's, it's not. It's way up it's our alley. It's <laughs> not preposterous because things change. Like, and yes, we might not be as evolved as worms, uh, <laughs> but who knows what the future will bring. And it's, it's, it's a totally understandable. It's a more difficult to get behind theory based around a lot of proven things like muscle memory and cell memory and everything. So I can absolutely see how those threads would be connected. Yeah, and I think the three of us are very, very rational people. And while we all have interest in the supernatural, we understand that most of it isn't real or at least oh, isn't malarkey. real the way we think. Same malarkey. It's, it's, it's malarkey. A it's, malarkey. A, it's, a lot of, it's a lot of applesauce is what it is. It's a lot of hooey. <laughs> but, you know, we, I, I think we also try, we're also hoping for that one paranormal thing to be real. And sometimes it's fun to, you know, do the opposite of debunking is, you know, trying to prove yeah. something with science. And this that, is also an example of it doesn't, it's not ruled out. Like, there are legitimate scientists looking into this kind of thing. It's not just the, like, crackpots. You know, they're, a legitimate scientist would also probably reassure you that they haven't found anything definitive. But it doesn't mm -hmm. mean it's not worth investigating. So it's definitely something that, who knows? Who knows what we can find out about cells and what they're capable of beyond what we already know. This was a fun one. I like that we ended on that, too, because we got to talk about Jessica Alba and her many talents and her beautiful face. So, I'm just saying, that's like, the important 2000, 2004, Jessica Alba versus, like, Shannon Elizabeth. I'd prefer Shannon Elizabeth. Shannon Elizabeth now or 1974? I don't know what Shannon Elizabeth looks like now. She hasn't done anything in, like, a decade. What happened to her? I don't know. Hey, we're AOE Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at AOE underscore podcast you can find us on facebook by looking up the age of enfrightenment you can find us on itunes we hope you do we hope you subscribe you can listen to us every two weeks when we show up in your feed just look up the age of enfrightenment leave us a review it's very cool makes us happy makes people find us and you can find us on our website aoepod.com <laughs>